Hey everyone, it's Alexa. And Catherine. And we're the girls behind Tickets, Please. And on today's episode, we're talking about Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. I do a version of that, you know, I'm a sick person, just like the Royce. Well, I was going to say that that's classic sibling behavior. That is very similar to tons of things my brother and I used to do. Flicking each other and hitting each other with things as hard as we can. That's a, a sibling thing. So when I saw in the behind the episode that that came from a writer's life with her brother, I didn't bat an eye. <laughs> well, since I didn't have siblings, it fell to every boyfriend I've ever had. That as they were driving, I would put my hand in front of their mouth and hold it there until they bit it. Not hard, not like to hurt. No. <laughs> Just like to be silly. It is very silly behavior. You want to play bitey? Bitey? We never played bitey? No. Oh, okay. Well, you bite me, I bite you. See who can take it. Okay, sure. Give me your own. I can't believe we finally arrived at a place where the most shocking thing they can do is have Kendall succeed. It was so fucking uncomfortable, even even with his... Really? I thought it was uncomfortable up until the point where you're supposed to feel like it's uncomfortable, where you're not too sure if the train is going to completely derail or he's going to nail it. But then at a certain point when he got into it, I was on board and, and cheering for him like the green room was. But you felt uncomfortable the whole time. Yeah, I think because even when he was doing better, I still knew what he was doing. His intent behind it, which is a house of cards with doubling the projections and the living plus concept itself is so deranged. And I was looking for another word, but I didn't think there is another word. <laughs> and I guess they cut loosely based it off of Disney's gated communities, which I also didn't know they had, mm. but they all know that this is ridiculous. Right. But isn't that the point? Obviously, it's ridiculous because they're poking fun at, you know, the product launches that really happen that are ridiculous. So that part I wasn't focused too much on. I was more just thinking about, is he going to land this ridiculousness or is it going to completely fall apart? It achieved the mission he was trying to against all odds. I'm having a tough time figuring out Shiv. I can't tell what she's doing deliberately, what she's kind of accidentaling her way through, what her intentions are, where she thinks she's going. I can't. She seems to be just like harboring information and not doing anything with it. And I can't figure out what she will eventually do with all the intel she's gathered from both sides. Don't you think she's waiting to see where the chips fall? I guess, but it just seems so passive i'm wondering what eventually will happen with her part of it has to be that she's allowing them to embarrass themselves to what end it's not as if they're gonna embarrass themselves and they're gonna turn to her to be ceo does she even want that if they self-destruct she's the only one left really not to say that ceo would automatically default to her that's not right. what i mean but just in terms of who still has respect and power yeah but then I can't even tell, does she want the deal to implode? Does she not? I can't even tell. If she had her choice of what happened, I can't even tell what she wants to happen. I don't know that she knows. Do you? I don't think so. It's just strange. I think it's unshiv-like. It's very still for her to be. Usually she's 
always in motion trying to get a step ahead and she's not doing anything at this moment. She's just kind of allowing people to tell her things, which is not usually how she operates. I think grief has a lot of power to change how you operate. And it's clear she's reverting back to the safety of the Tom dynamic as a result of that. And she also is pregnant and hasn't told a single person. Do Is she even? Like, it almost <laughs> seems like that was a mirage. I know. <laughs> if, they didn't re- if they didn't remind us at the beginning of every episode, like the, in the previously on, I would think that they forgot. I didn't think that that was going to be uh, something that is revealed at a key moment. Apparently it is, but I thought it was going to be they found out immediately. I did not know it was going to be this weird secret that she's keeping. There has to be a time. Time jump. You think? Because she was pregnant enough in these episodes that they're concealing it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if the reason that they had her be pregnant is because at some point they knew her pregnancy was going to be far enough along that they couldn't conceal it anymore. But she just slept with Tom and he can't tell. So there has to be a time jump there somewhere. Plus, time is moving so slowly. Each episode. It's like day four. Yeah, we're we're in episode six. And it's been like two days since. It's actually annoying. When Kendall was on stage and he said something about the support the last few days, I was like, my God, I'm exhausted. I wrote down a couple of quotes that I thought were funny and or great. Lamb on me. When Kendall's sitting down with them all at the conference table, trying to convince them that Matson might be erratic and not dependable, and Tom says, Honestly, it probably kind of adds to the mystique. I thought that was so funny. I loved when Shiv said, Boys, you're not good at this. A, because it needed to be said, but also because it's so Logan. Yeah. That to me, it feels like a little bit of foreshadowing. Oh. Another thing that was, you know, I was annoyed that people are digging too deep for hot takes. So I don't want to be that person. But at one point, I think it was when Rome was headed out to meet with Joy. He said, yeah, who wants to fuck? I'm ready to fuck. And all I could think about was actually, but you can't though. I thought the same thing. When he said that, I was like, what an interesting line to have him say. It's funny that you say that Shiv sounded like Logan because I actually thought in both firing scenes, Rome sounded a lot like Logan. Well, he's tr- he's cosplaying. He's trying to be Logan. But I think the first time he accidentaled his way into cosplaying, Joy forced him into that weird pigeonhole where he felt like he had no other place in his own arsenal to go so he's like oh i know what to do here we're just gonna fucking fire her because there's no other way for me to level this playing field at all but then with jerry then he was just spiraling wildly out of control he's also feeling exceptionally insecure more than even his normal levels in the past if he had had that meeting with joy he might have just cursed her out or done something ridiculous i don't know that he would have tried to fire her Mm, yeah i think he was like monkey see monkey do what do you mean by that i think like he's seen logan do that a hundred times where he just if someone's causing a problem he just gets rid of them he doesn't spend the time he's not rehabilitating people he just if they're 
not going to respect him. They're not going to give him what he wants. He's like, get the fuck out. I don't need you. But the part that he's missing is that Logan actually understood how the business works. He didn't have any angles because he didn't know what to do. But I also think that there are some circumstances where they can maybe know what to do. He could have known what to do in that situation, but he felt so emasculated from the get sitting down with her that there was no shot. Plus, he's having an issue in this episode in particular. Well, since Logan's died, but in this one in particular, trusting what he thinks he should do. He's completely lost his true north. I think in the end, when Shiv convinces him to bow out of the presentation with Kendall, and then he sees that he probably should have been a part of the presentation because it went well. When Kendall comes in and everyone's cheering for him, he like pushes Shiv, like, thanks a lot. I could have had a a small win and I got shafted out of that now. It's because he was second guessing and can't figure out what to do for himself. So he's just listening to whatever anybody will tell him. But he did the right thing by dropping out because every sign pointed to that thing being a total disaster. Yes. The jackets... Come on. There's no way he could have survived going out there in that jacket. No. Kendall can pull it off, but not Rome. Not matching co-pilot jackets, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think about the end where he's listening to Logan insult him over and over? What I really thought is I'm terrified because he has a downfall coming it's going to be bad. He loaded the pistol with Jerry today. I mean, I could just see it now. Co-CEO brothers, sexual harasser, cold-blooded killer. I mean, Jesus Christ. (laughs) But so why do you think he was listening to that over and over? Well, I mean, he loves it when people insult him. He gets off on that. So hearing his late father insult him, you know, might give him something he needs right now. That's so twisted and Freudian. I don't even want to think about it. You ass. <laughs> I, I know he's not actually, I know it's, but even still. My favorite scene of the episode was after Rome fires Cherry and comes out to talk to Kendall in front of the vending machine. I watched it three times. I was cackling at that point. He's just staring at the blinding light of the vending machine, doing God knows what. He's not going to put money in it and buy something from the vending machine. He's just like staring at the light. And Rome comes up, which I also was surprised that he told him because he didn't tell him about joy at first. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a thing that we harbor. But no, he just comes out and says it and then the way he delivers that and that he's fired jerry so um i just uh i think you should know um i think we should like joy go okay yeah. yeah yeah i mean right now it's kind of all about the moves so that's yeah that's that's dude that's baller for me yeah yeah great yeah. let's put it into joy Great. That's a joy. Jerry told me that that was a bad move and I should sort of roll that back. So I uh, I fired Jerry. And Kendall's line is... Fuck off. You fired Jerry? Shiv's yeah. godmother Jerry? Yeah, but we may need to roll back on that. I don't know. You may need to smooth over whatever. And then he very quickly decides it's a great idea. Fuck it, bro. Why not? Chop yeah. her in the end zone. I mean, look at you. <laughs> Who are you going to fire next? I mean, fire Frank, fire Carl, <laughs> fucking eat Greg and fire me, man. Yeah, I don't know. It's You're big. It feels big. It feels maybe no, it's, it's not a bit big. big. It's, it's not, big. not too big. The dad goggles, yeah. right? It's nothing. Yeah? Nothing. Dynamic Waystar duo shake up their senior leadership team, grumble quote, grumble quote, caveat. Some are saying these two young Turks might just have what it takes to turn things around. He supports him. The two of them 
the two of them are in a, a full-on delusion and they're just looking at each other and going, good job, sweetie. You're doing amazing. Vulture said the utter recklessness of Roman and Kendall's newfound power is as if their children gobbling themselves sick on a Halloween candy hall. That's such a good analogy. How funny was it in the middle of his speech when they cut back to the green room, I think, and he, he had just said double the earnings and somebody said, okay, that's not fucking cool. And Greg goes, it's really well edited. <laughs> Greg, we scolded him in last week's episode because we found, I, I mean, I am the biggest Greg hater in the world because he's so annoying. He made himself very useful this episode. Big shoes. Big, big shoes. <laughs> big, big shoes. Big, big shoes. Big shoes. Big hat. Big nervous breakdown. For those who may not know, Catherine, before last May, when I showed her the original trilogy for the very first time and we recorded an episode on every one, she had not seen Star Wars at all. Or that's not technically true. You had seen parts of the very first one, right? Yeah, but it, 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 it barely, barely Yeah. So she had not seen any of them. She really didn't know very much about them. And now a year later, and we're watching the prequels for the very first time. How does it feel to know that you've officially watched the worst Star Wars that there is. A relief. I did want to say, before you give your takes, I wanted to just put into perspective all these things that you're feeling. When this came out, this came out in 1999. It had been 16 years since Return of the Jedi came out. I just want you to imagine what the fans of Star Wars were thinking and feeling walking into this movie and then walking out. I don't know how they survived it. It's cruelty on a level. The first 40 minutes, the only thing I could think was who did this. <laughs> now, I I know it's George Lucas. Like, I know who. But even still. So for also some more context, Lucas had not just directed a movie since the original Star Wars in 1977. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you can tell. So 22 years in between and the first one while he directed it, he, he like didn't really because there was so much more studio intervention to the original than there was to this because he had made them so much money and done, done the three. They're like, OK, fine, George, you can do this one. And I'm sure they regretted that decision. because He had 20 years to improve. The qualities that I found so endearing in the first ones are a lot of what made this one really horrendous. The lack of actual direction, the delivery of the lines. Remember, I thought it was so cute how they walked into a scene, delivered a line, and then walked down that hill. I think <laughs> yeah. you even said something like that. Yeah, Step over the log and walk <laughs> yes, down the hill. Yes, it was very like choreographed. Yes. <laughs> and and once it's on film, George is like, cool, we're good. On to the next. That was still happening here. I swear that everything was the first take. These are incredibly accomplished actors that we've seen turn in very, very good performances in other work. He clearly did not give them any direction as to how they were supposed to be, what the character's motivation was in a scene, what they were supposed to be thinking, feeling. And literally, I would even venture to say 
he probably, if they did give it something, because they are all very talented, he was like, no, 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 I want it flatter than that. I want it like, <laughs> say it as if a robot is speaking. It was deeply, deeply terrible. I've never seen any of those actors be worse. Remember how I told you that I was surprised by Darth Vader? I felt like he was going to be scarier and have yes. more gravity mm-hmm. to him. It's, it's his fault because the same thing happened. None of the villains were, I know they're not really supposed to be scary, but Mm -hmm. they weren't anything even approaching scary. Natalie as the queen, I know that it's not always her Yeah, the whole time, but either her or Kira had no anything. I, I would like almost give a pass just to the queen because maybe that was some kind of thing to it because she's supposed to be flat or whatever, but it's really unbelievable that they let it out this way. One of the things I noticed I was trying to figure out the whole time is, first of all, the sets looked like they were made of styrofoam and spray painted. Like the sets looked so unbelievably cheap. I was trying not to Google anything. And like halfway through, I said, I have to know what the budget was. I I have to. And I looked it up and it was $115 million. Mm -hmm. This man spent a hundred million of that on CGI. Yes, he's obsessed with CGI. He can't get enough. He is obsessed with CGI. He waited to make this because the CGI was not at the level that he needed it. He needed it, quote, to be at to make it. He waited for the technology to catch up because he wanted it so desperately. If there was a scene that he could have filmed somewhere, he was like, no, 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 don't worry. We'll just put it in in CGI. This is what happens when you give an 11-year-old boy $115 million. The lighting, stark and flat, yeah. it made everything look cheaper and worse. Yeah. Every Everywhere someone went, there were harsh, dark shadows yes. from the lighting. It looked like I was watching a TV, a low-budget TV movie. Yeah, like it had almost a soap opera effect that you usually get from something being too HD, but this was purely driven by the lighting being horrendous. He had such an opportunity to tell such a cool story. You're showing the origins of Darth Vader. You're showing us a a young Obi-Wan Kenobi who we've only seen as like this master of the force. We're seeing him as he's in training. We could see so much cool shit. And he like almost went out of his way. He had four lines. (laughs) He made it. He went out of his way to make it as boring and as ridiculous as possible. He could not have been so disconnected that he didn't know what fans wanted. Either he's so arrogant and self-absorbed that he didn't know, or he did know and he didn't care. And frankly, I don't know which is worse. It's the second one that you're saying. It's the second one. Because any any decision that was made in the first three that was good wasn't his. He came up with this idea and then everybody had better ideas. And thank God they were able to overrule him. Think about how many times in the, in the original trilogy I told you, like, this was Harrison Ford's idea. Or this was a studio suggestion. Or they cut this. Or he added this and look at how horrible it is his inclination is to fill the world with these weird aliens planets no one cares about bullshit that nobody cares we just want to see cool stuff with great characters with some emotion and heart behind it and what's all what's most gross to me is that you can tell that half of these decisions were driven by money he saw the opportunity and this is true like 
he saw the opportunity to create action figures, to create video games. And that's what happened after these were released. The the amount of merchandise that came out of these prequels, you cannot imagine. You probably know the real answer to this, but my instinct almost says it wasn't the money necessarily, but the childish desire for this thing that he created and that lives in his mind to be everywhere in every format. Yeah, it probably is a, is a mixture of the boat. I, I think that it's a weird egotistical thing he has where it becomes like a ubiquitous part of society where children yeah. can't get enough and they want this and they and they want. And I remember me and Anthony as kids partook in it because we were kids when we saw these obviously so we were much more forgiving of them and even still knew they were the worst it's a shame because they really should have been so much better and what i will say is that the third of these is good i have come to really enjoy it a lot the second one i haven't seen in quite a long time and i honestly don't remember too too much but i know it's better than this all i feel is a waste not that but he took the opportunity to take away some of the stuff that we loved about the first three one in particular that fans really really had a strong reaction to was his invention of the metachlorians i've been wondering what are midichlorians midichlorians are a microscopic life form that resides within all living cells they live inside me inside your cells yes and we are symbionts with them Symbionts? Life forms living together for mutual advantage. Without the midichlorians, life could not exist, and we would have no knowledge of the Force. They continually speak to us, telling us the will of the Force. When you learn to quiet your mind, you'll hear them speaking to you. Literally nobody was asking for an explanation of the Force. We don't need, like, science to explain what the Force is. And he didn't even do that good of a job explaining what it even is. It was so much cooler when it was just this thing that we couldn't understand but we felt. And then he took that away and not even for any kind of payoff. I didn't care about Anakin. Going in, I did. Mm -hmm. Knowing I was going to learn his backstory, I cared. (laughs) Once I was in it, I didn't care. Because there was no depth there at all i didn't care about obi-wan either i wanted to especially i i was thinking this so much this time when the gungans are fighting the droids i was literally thinking this is not even worth the film they put it on it is so i could not care less it's just lifeless stupid robots that we don't care about and the gungans who we definitely don't care about you must have said this when we talked about the first three but star wars is successful not because of george lucas but in spite of him yes he doesn't understand what makes them good he has the emotional maturity and the mindset of a preteen boy sorry maybe that's mean but it's true he just wants things that look cool and make cool noises. And I got to be honest with you, it didn't even look that cool. I have two things that I really like about it. Was there anything that you took away liking it? The only thing I liked was seeing R2-D2 and c 3 Oh my God, I wrote that down. (laughs) (laughs) I obviously thought that was so, so adorable. I don't believe we have been introduced. R2-D2. A pleasure to meet you. I am C-3PO Human Cyborg Relations. 
It was really, really sad when Anakin leaves C-3PO. There wasn't even a moment there, really. He just said, it's been fun make, working on you. Bye. <laughs> that was an opportunity to ground it even a tiny bit. I'm sorry I wasn't able to finish you, 3PO. Give you coverings and all. I'm going to miss working on you. You've been a great pal. I'll make sure mom doesn't sell you or anything. Sell me? Bye. Any kind of grounding it has, I bring to it. Just thinking about the fact that Anakin built C-3PO and what a pivotal part of the story he then becomes for his children. And same thing with R2, that R2 is Anakin's little sidekick, just like he is for Luke. That is really cute. And I agree with you, but it's going to take me some distance from this before I can lean into that feeling. Yeah. Because right now I'm just annoyed. And I will say I've seen it many times and I have come to appreciate small things about it. One of which is would make George Lucas happy is that I do like his inclination to expand the world. I like that he introduces Naboo and introduces Coruscant. And I think those planets are cool. I like what they'll revisit them in the future movies. And I do like those introductions, but he does it in such a painful way that you can appreciate it. There is something to enjoy about each planet has their own system going on and their how Tatooine is completely desolate and it's on the outer rim and uh, the Republic doesn't have any control of it. Coruscant is the capital, the center. It's it's hustling and bustling. It's basically like one giant city. In the be very beginning of the second one, we'll see it at night and it's very cool. So there are parts of it that I do appreciate. And I think the only successful thing to come out of this one is Darth Maul. And he fucking kills him. The Darth Maul is so cool. And his theme is the best piece of music maybe in all of Star Wars. the fates is his theme and it hypes me up so much to hear it every single time and he fucking kills him you know now you see a lot story by this person's screenplay by that person that's what should have happened here because you're right about the world building and the big overarching ideas that's what he's good at the detail and the dimension dialogue and the performances, any kind of thing related to the actual production and creation of it, he can't do at all. Why did the studio let that happen? That's what I need to know. I, I, I really do think the answer I, from what I'm finding, I'm not finding a concrete answer, but I think it's just that he had become this like figure in culture of like George Lucas created Star Wars and Star Wars had such a profound impact on movies and culture and cinema that they just were like yeah you have an idea for a prequel go ahead we have no problem with you making more of these everybody wants them they'll be dying for them it's been 16 years since they've seen one they had forgotten probably the same people that were in charge weren't even in charge they were like they forgot that they were the ones that kept them in check the first time
Uh, also, I had absolutely no idea that was Kira Knightley until afterward. I, I didn't know till years, years later. I had seen it many times before I knew it was Kira Knightley. To be honest with you, when I was younger, I didn't even truly realize they were swapping. I could see that as a kid, not not realizing that. I did not realize that there were two of them. <laughs> I thought it was just, you know, Queen Amidala was dressing up as Queen Amidala. And then when we saw her as Padme, she just wasn't <laughs> wearing the costume. <laughs> That's so cute. Another thing that I genuinely, not that I needed to, but one thing that I don't think I fully understood until this time was the shit that goes on with the Senate. It's so painfully boring that... When I was a kid, I was like skipping through those scenes. I wasn't even watching them. So to understand that Palpatine is the senator for Naboo and that he stages a coup and gets himself, you know, elected, I didn't even follow any of that. That shows how like inconsequential it is to the plot and how ridiculous it is that he has it in there. This time watching it, I was like, oh, this is how that happens. Why he's chancellor in the next two. I could barely understand it. It's really hard to understand. Really hard. Another thing that is cool that I wish he had explored more, we're in a time period where the Jedi are around and in power. We have a whole council of Jedi where in the first three, they had become extinct. They weren't around anymore. It's interesting to see how they have a whole council of people and how they're tied to the political goings on of and how they make decisions. Did you think like, what'd you think of, of Yoda not wanting them to train Anakin? No, he will not be trained. No. He is too old. He is the chosen one. You must see it. Mm. Clouded, this boy's future is. I will train him then. I don't know. It seemed like at the very end he was saying that he has a sense that Anakin's potential is more complicated than people might think it is. You understood, obviously, what Qui-Gon was suggesting and this whole idea of this prophecy. We saw kind of, it, it talked about a little bit in the first three, but they're kind of seeding the origins of it now that essentially the Jedi have this prophecy where they believe there is a chosen one who will bring balance to the Force. And that Qui-Gon thinks that it's Anakin. But when he brings them to the council and they first say no, it's because first they're doubting whether he will or is this chosen one. And then Yoda, I guess, is he's clouded by the fact that it's not immediately clear and that there's more to Anakin than maybe they were expecting this person to have. It's important that Yoda recognizes the fear that's in Anakin. Because we're supposed to be, this trilogy is supposed to be teaching us how Anakin becomes evil. And and that certainly is something that's going to play out in the next two. And that was one of the few things that actually had any impact on me, is when he says, Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I sense much fear in you. That's a universal truth. And thank God he got one in there. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is interesting to see, because right now we only know, first of all, he's only a boy, but in the next one he won't be. 
He ends up with Natalie Portman's character. Yeah, he it. does. He does. What's their age difference? It's five years. Padme is not supposed to be that old in this. She looks much older than she is supposed to be. She's only supposed to be like 15. She looks way older than 15, in my opinion. But but Anakin seems he's, like he's seven. He's nine. He he's supposed to be like eight or nine. So there's like a five to six year age difference. And there'll be and there'll be a jump in the next one of 10 years. And then another thing that I always like to think about, again, it's not because of the movie, it's just because of the story. And I think that that's the best way to enjoy this one honestly is just to think of it as the in the as a piece of the star wars puzzle rather than as a movie itself which is to think about the relationship that obi-wan and anakin have because he's known him since he was nine years old and in the first three we see that the only interaction they have is is him having him kill him and and it just puts into context i actually think i mentioned this when we watched a new hope when obi-wan is describing anakin to luke i love thinking about those conversations while watching this thinking about how he's known him essentially his whole life and to see where they become and what happens it is a moving story. It's really sad. Is it ultimately, it, I, it has to be something about his mother that turns him, right? So interesting that <laughs> that you picked up on that. Yes, it's a facet. It's not the driving force. You'll see what the driving force is in the next one, but it's a key turning point for him. When he says to her before he leaves, I will come back and free you, Mom. I promise. It grated on me to hear him say that he promised because I was like, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. So did you have any thoughts or pick up on anything with so the Viceroy from that are in, in the Trade Federation when they're talking to presumably it seems like the Emperor from the first three anything with that like i'm trying not to say the answer without (laughs) because i don't want to i don't want to point it out to you if you didn't notice it but i'm curious if you noticed anything about the the overarching villain do you have any like thoughts on that whatever thoughts i could have potentially had i didn't because i was so distracted by how bad it was and how specifically bad they were it's very interesting i can't wait to watch the next one because I don't want to ask something because if it hasn't crossed your mind, I don't want to point it out to you. But I do want you to ask. I don't. I don't because I don't want to give it away if it's not something you picked up. Okay, let me think about this for a minute. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just think about like, okay, so at the end, when they're at Qui-Gon's funeral, which like, by the way, one of the funniest lines is in my, it's not supposed to be funny, but I laugh at it every time, is when they're standing there at Qui-Gon's funeral and Anakin turns to Obi-Wan and completely completely lifeless and coldly is like what will happen to me now this guy just saved you from tatooine freed you from being a slave was gonna teach you to be a jedi he's now dead and you have just literally not one emotion (laughs) he's being burned right in front of you and he just turns to obi-wan and is like what happens to me now but anyway what i was the point i was actually trying to make was when yoda is talking to mace windu which is samuel jackson's character which i don't even think they say by the way he they just don't give him a name they don't give any all of a sudden i was like what Yeah, his name is Mace Windu. He's in the next two. Actually, fun fact about him is that he has a purple lightsaber, and he's the only one to have a purple lightsaber. 
he he requested it from George Lucas. He said he wants his to be purple. And George was like, like, there are no purple lightsabers. And, and he's like, like yeah, that's, there are now. <laughs> that's why I want one. <laughs> but anyway, when they're at Qui-Gon's funeral, Mace Windu says, There's no doubt the mysterious warrior was a Sith. Mm. Always two there are. No more, no less. A master and an apprentice. But which was destroyed? The master? Or the apprentice. So there is somebody that's like already around that is a Sith. I'm, I'm not going to say anymore. <laughs> I know you want a reaction from me, but I'm just absorbing what you're saying. Good, because we'll be able to revisit this because there was something that I wasn't sure if it was obvious to me or obvious to everybody. And now it seems like it's it's not supposed to be obvious. It just is really clear when you're watching them back. So I'm not going to say anything. I'm just talking too vaguely, but it's because I don't want to tell you what you haven't picked up on. What, I, what was I just going to say? I was going to say something else. Oh, I'm here to give you some good news. Jar Jar is not in the next two. Truly, thank God. I always kind of thought if someone was a good actor, they're good. And maybe at times they're better than others. In general, their ability and their craft is at a certain level and that's where they stay. And it was so apparent to me in this that who you have directing you and the quality of the material plays an enormous part in how good someone is. That actually is in all seriousness why I almost believe it. If they were to give it any more emotion behind a line, I, I really do believe he was telling them not to. But why? I, I th- Because he thinks they're supposed to be Jedis, so they're Yes, I think he thinks, keels. yes, I think he thinks that all of these characters are supposed to have, like, a mystery and a, and a centeredness to them that makes them, like, flat. It's not achieving what he wants. It's not giving, like, mystery and calm and center. He clearly doesn't understand how that's demonstrated because what's behind a person like that is an enormous depth of emotional intelligence and compassion and understanding and complexity. So for someone to play that kind of character, they need to be able to demonstrate all that in a very calm and centered way. Right. Because being a Jedi, you're not outwardly um, expressing you're emotionless yeah, you're not emotionless you're just uh, you're aware of them but you're not exhibiting them you're not acting on them it's not that you don't experience emotion it's that you're mindful of them and you keep them in check and you use them to help you and to craft your tools but you don't have no emotion have you seen the karate kid yeah it makes me think of mr miyagi he just has such a still presence, but he communicates so much with the way he says certain things, the way he moves, the way he holds himself. That's what we need. What? Where is all that? <laughs> he had no ability to communicate it at all. And when this came out, and I'm assuming even then it was skewered and ripped apart by critics. Oh, yeah. I believe, not that I I don't know anything about him at all. I don't know who, what he's like as a person or anything. I just have a feeling that he's the type of person who said, I'm not, I'm not letting in any of their negativity. I know what this means. I know why I did it the way I did it. I know that it's great. Yep. 
I don't think he has the ability to accept constructive criticism at all. And the only reason that these three work in any way is because of the fans. It They succeed in spite of him, not because of him. Because of someone like me who can take the horrible, horrible movie that I just watched and just think about, wow, Obi-Wan's known him since he was a kid. And how cool is it to see Anakin when he's still good? And like he's meeting Padme and all that stuff is cool in theory to think about, but not <laughs> actually see what he chose to do with the moment itself. You took every scrap that he gave you and you wove it (laughs) into meaning. (laughs) Because there was so much in the first three that it it left me with the sense of wonder that I'm thinking like, wow, where did all these people come from? And, And Yoda and all that stuff. And how must it have been to live when the Jedi were ruling things? But he doesn't give you any of that. It's just to think about that it's the idea has been planted is enough for me. This is the most... I think it's got to be the most successful franchise in history. For sure. Imagine what it would have been if it had been done the right way. Now is what you're looking. I mean, the next trilogy and all of the shows that are happening now is that example. It's showing what Star Wars could be on this massive, massive monumental scale. And it's being made not by George Lucas. He doesn't have a single thing to say to any of them. Thank because he's God no, for he's that. Sold. The smartest thing this man ever did was sell the rights to Disney. I did write down one line from a review from when it was released. It's uh, written by Todd McCarthy from Variety. And it's just one quote that I think sums it up perfectly. It says... It is neither captivating nor transporting, for it lacks any emotional pull, as well as the sense of wonder and awe that marks the best works of sci-fi fantasy. Yeah, it's exactly true. I wrote down one from Collider. Should I share that too? (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Even the opening scene with a young Obi-Wan is devoid of any excitement or tension. The lines are delivered entirely flat. There's no sense of danger or intrigue. Things just happen on a screen, one after another, as plainly as possible (laughs) until the credits roll. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you think might like it too. And leave us a five-star review on iTunes and on Spotify. Till next time. Bye. May the force be with you. May the force be with you. May the force be with you. Anakin, may the force be with you. May the force be with you, Master. May the Force be with us all. Obi-Wan, may the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you.